Hello and welcome to Views on View. Today on our panel, we have Chris Fritz, View core team member and Resident Docs contributor. Hi. And I am Divya Sasidharan, developer advocate at Netlify and also contributor to View. And today on our panel, we have Sunil Sandhu. Sunil, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, hey, uh, yeah. So I am Sunil uh, and I'm a, a full stack uh, web developer and View user and Nuxt user <laughs> and um, editor of a, a JavaScript publication called JavaScript in Plain English. Awesome. So what have you been working on recently? So at the moment, uh, I have been working on a uh, an internal project for the company that I work for, which is kind of like a, a web application that... Um, a database-driven one that kind of uses uh, Firebase. And um, we are using Vue and Nuxt for the front end. Oh, that's awesome. How are you finding working with Nuxt? Um, it's really interesting. So one of the things that I like is, in particular, uh, and I'm sure that's kind of what they were, were doing when they built it, but the fact that it abstracts away a lot of the, um, those kind of like the tedious bits of preparation that you usually need to do with new projects. Mm -hmm. So uh, things like setting up, a, you know, a kind of a, a single source of truth and things like routing. So those things are kind of just taken care of, uh, at least in the setup. And the really cool thing in particular with, say, the routing is that you, you essentially just put any components that will that you want to be pages effectively just go into a folder called pages and the a lot of the kind of logic that goes into that is just taken care of for you so it's a breeze to use and it's like super nice highly recommend it so awesome. you'd say it's it's more of like a, a convention over configuration approach absolutely absolutely I think they call it uh, they call it like a higher level framework on top of the view framework or something so yeah, I was yeah. it is in many ways yeah and um one thing i've realized though is that i am not very good at explaining it so outside of that uh, i was trying to explain it to like a, a junior developer friend of mine uh, he was trying to you know he was asking me well what's what's the purpose of it i don't understand i can just set these things up and it's kind of like, well, yeah, you, you could, <laughs> but you could also just save yourself a bunch of time and and focus on, you know, building the, the the content or the fun parts of the of the project rather than finding yourself deep in the trenches and and in the mud doing the the boring bits that you you end up having to do with every project. So, um, yeah, it's really cool. Did you work with Vue before you worked with Nuxt or was Nuxt your first introduction to working with Vue or what was that like? So I started with Vue, vanilla Vue, so to speak. And that was definitely the right approach. And I suppose the, the long story short, I would highly recommend using Vue before you go into Nuxt. But, um, but yeah, I, I suppose now to give the long story. Um, so I, a couple of years ago, I was working at an agency in... Um, in Nottingham in England. And we were using uh, Laravel for mm -hmm. uh, for a lot of the back end and just well, in general. And I think as of maybe five Laravel 5.4 or 5.5, Vue was kind of just baked into it. Mm -hmm. So it kind of just naturally led to experimenting with Vue. So it, it effectively became the first the first framework of say like the big three or framework slash libraries that I had experience with. 
after having some experience with Vue and React, it's definitely just it's it's so clean to use. It, it, I think it's it, it almost feels quite natural, and and there's very little additional configuration that you need to do with it. So for for me as the kind of I suppose the noob at that time going into front end frameworks and libraries, uh, Vue was just like super easy to learn. Mm-hmm. So for example, you know, in ways that it, that it saves you time, like I, I think for the the pages directory that you talked about, mm-hmm. you know, instead of in a typical application where you might have to create, you know, the the views file, and then you'd have to, you know, actually create a route for that and, and some kind of like, you know, routes file or router file, you know, with the configuration for the router mm-hmm. uh, in order to set that all up. And then maybe you'd also have to, you know, link it specifically to a specific layout that is maybe a different component. Uh, and you'd have to have, have that created. So with a, with a Nuxt project, like in what ways does it save you time for, for doing tasks like that? Sure. Um, so I suppose, yeah, ultimately you will still, there will still be a section in your code where you will tell it what component or page to, to fetch based on the, the URL. So, you know, if in the pages folder, you have a page called uh, users or something, you will still need to write sort of like a small chunk of, uh, of code. But the, the nice thing is that along with doing that routing, it also sets up the, the SSR for it as well. So I don't know whether I imagine you've probably had an experience somewhere Maybe not yourself anymore, Chris, as a as a as a core member of Vue, but those occasions where maybe you have set up something with Vue Router and you are on like the about page or something like that. But then when you refresh the browser, it either takes you back to the home page or it doesn't understand what forward slash about is. So Nux just takes care of that as well behind the scenes. So you don't have to worry about setting up any thought uh, any sort of uh, server-side rendering. And a really cool thing that I didn't realize initially was that you can write in your CSS because so every time you change the page, it will activate some transitional classes on the on the components, and you can just very quickly write additional bits of animation in the CSS, and it will just take that and use it. So if you wanted to create a, a fade in fade out effect. It's very easy. You can just literally like write. I think it's something like page, page dash active, and then you can just put like opacity zero, and then to opacity one, and it will just do it. So, you know, even things like transitions, it, it saves you a bunch of time with that. Mm-hmm. Cool. So it sounds like it it sets up the code in a way where it's it's making a lot of assumptions about files depending on like where they're placed and also sets up some configuration that like makes some assumptions about the kind of app that you're building but also is guaranteed to kind of work well together absolutely absolutely so um it kind of it feels like it gives you the best of both as well when it comes to whether you want to build like a a server side rendered page or 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 something where you know, a lot of the rendering is done on the client side. So it, it almost gives you both options. And then you essentially kind of just go with whichever one would be best, but then it also kind of has the other one to fall back on. So, I mean, I mean, look, I'm, I'm still fairly new to using Nuxt, but from the experience I have with it so far, it's just, it saves a lot of time. And I'm really excited to see where it goes. 
from here and, and you know, what additional features they potentially look to, to, uh, to bake into it. Yeah. In another project that I maintain called View Enterprise Boilerplate, which isn't really like a competing project to Nuxt. Like it's, it's more like a, a study guide. And if people want to like really manage everything themselves rather than have this like uh, convention over configuration uh, approach where, you know, it's make, Nuxt is making a lot of assumptions about the way that your app is built. But for a lot of people, like that's what they need to really hit the ground running. Sure. Uh, and a lot of applications are very similar. So I think it's often the case that mm. a lot of assumptions can be made about your app. Yeah, absolutely. And in those occasions where you do want to change things, the options are still there for you as well. So yeah, it's it's really cool. Early on in the development, there was something that I stole from Next, uh, which is their automatic module registration for exactly. UX modules. You awesome. know, so that based on the folder structure, what they'll do is they'll they'll automatically register nested modules for you without you having to do anything. So you just have to create the file and the module will automatically be registered for you, which is, <laughs> which is so wonderful. Mm. I thought uh, you wrote that. <laughs> no, see, uh, most of I've the been, things where you think like, wow, Chris is a pretty smart guy. I've been giving did. you, no, I've been giving you credit for the whole thing. Cause every time I use that pattern, I'm like, comment, uh, this was taken from the enterprise boilerplate. <laughs> I did, <laughs> I, I did make up the pattern of doing that with base components. Sure. You know, with the automatic base component registration, but I, I didn't do it with uh, Vuex modules. Uh, I s stole that code brazenly from Nuxt. And then I also implemented some, some other stuff, uh, including uh, hot module reloading for uh, Nuxt modules. And then they've since stolen that back. <laughs> <laughs> so so we, can, we contribute to each other uh, <laughs> quite a bit and, and inspire each other in a lot of ways. Amazing. Yeah, that pattern is actually really powerful just because um, like by default, if you use um, Vue CLI's Vuex, it doesn't modularize your Vuex modules for you or it just automatically just gives you global module registration, global Vuex registration. And that can be great for certain applications. But yeah, I, I usually modularize my, my Vuex a lot because I tend to have state in different pieces and I don't want it to like populate the global state. And so that's a really nice, a really, really powerful pattern to use in your application, which is really cool. And like Nuxt has it out of the box. So you can save yourself the burden of like having to implement that, which essentially it's not really a burden. You just copy and paste, you create a few files or you could create um, like a Vue CLI plugin for it, which, which I have done. And then it does it for you, which is handy, but you can use Nuxt too and it, you don't have to bother or remember. So what else have you enjoyed about Nuxt? Like we talked about, you know, routing and some of the things that are really convenient in the way that routes are handled. And we talked a little bit about state management. I I'd love to hear if you have more thoughts on any of those, or if you want to talk about something else within Nuxt that has kind of saved you time and saved you some initial configuration, especially. I'd love sure. to hear about that. Sure. One of the things as well that I think is really cool. Uh, I think it may be, it may, it may actually just be part of view meta that they are using anyway to do it, but how it's set up in a way that makes, uh, like, you know, like the boring SEO optimization stuff that you end up needing to do for projects. So it's, it puts all of that in the separate file. So all of the, all of the bits that would go in like the head section of a, um, of a web page, they're all separated and 
they you, you know you end up being able to use lots of different like bits of variables and things like that in there so uh, i suppose it's just I'm probably not explaining it particularly well, just because, like I said, I'm still fairly new to using Nuxt in kind of in a professional environment. But no, yeah. it, it totally makes sense. So, like when you go to different pages, you know the the title of the page, like the actual title element in the head, you know, so which is what shows up in the tab uh, mm. when you're looking at that page. You probably want that to be different on the about page versus the contact page, so that when people are browsing their tabs they can see like, oh yeah, which page was that, right? Mm, absolutely. And uh, again, you know, it's one of those things that you can, of course you can go about setting that up. Um, mm -hmm. The fact that it's already there for you, just, you know, any things that can kind of cut the development time, especially when you're working in the case of myself, working in an agency, you're constantly dealing with multiple different deadlines from different clients. So, you know, any small wins that you can get to, cut the production times, but in an effective way and, and in a way that doesn't actually take away from the overall quality of the project. Those things are really important to, I suppose, ultimately the clients who, who may very well be paying by the hour or, or by the minute, you know, whatever it may be. So those things are really good. And, and the fact that it, it provides a level of consistency. I mean, um, you know, like, like, he's, like you mentioned a moment ago, Divya, you, you know, you could just copy and paste those bits, but if you, even if you don't have to do that because it's already there, you, you almost take away an element of human error where you might, you might copy the wrong bit. You may accidentally forget to put, uh, you know, the closing brackets on, on a chunk of code that you've pasted and then you spend a moment debugging something. So just all of those things that are already kind of taken care of for you, and, you know, I know it's kind of, it's already been mentioned a billion times, but, you know, there's no need to reinvent the wheel in some cases. So why not stand on the shoulder of giants, or, you know, and people who have built something that works and is being used in production already. So, yeah, uh, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. And, and for those that are curious, the, the project that Nuxt uses under the hood to get like different meta info on different pages is called view-meta, which was uh, originally developed by someone else, but is now maintained by the Nuxt team because they are such heavy users of it. Awesome. And, and you can use that in your own projects too. If uh, you, know, you have a pre-existing project that you know, you're thinking like, wow, that behavior sounds really great. I'd love that for my project. And, uh, but unlike in Nuxt, you will, have to, you will have to set it up. You'll have to register the plugin and you know, maybe do a little configuration. Whereas Nuxt has it all ready for you. Um, out of interest, Chris, so from your perspective, working on, on as part of the core team, do you mm -hmm. often, do you find that people who build things such as View Meta, or, or, or not necessarily that, but, you know, that as an example, do you find that mm -hmm. people approach View with their projects or is it the other way around? Hmm. Uh, what do you mean by approach view with the projects? Like, how do people find out about it, and how do we find out about it? Uh, yes, I suppose so. Yeah, sometimes, uh, sometimes people will will tweet us and say like they made something. I prefer honestly that people don't do that <laughs> most of the time, <laughs> simply because it's hard to like find the time. Uh, but writing a, a blog post about it, you know, sharing it on the on the view chat. Uh, chat.vjs.org is, is a good way to let other people know about it. And 
you know, tweeting about it to other developers in your circles and, you know, going to a meetup and, and showing other people the thing that you worked on. That's a great way to, to share it as well. Awesome. So I will be sure to send you some messages with lots of <laughs> <laughs> half-baked projects. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding, of course. Yeah, I mean, I, it, you know, I, sometimes people message me because, uh, you know, there's like a problem that they know I've been working on and, you know, I've had a hard time trying to solve it. And they happen to have built something recently that solves that problem. And like, you know, those messages are, are very welcome. But uh, for just, you know, random stuff where it's like, hey, can you look at the thing I built? It's like, <laughs> I'd love to have time for all of those, but I unfortunately just don't because I, I, I do enjoy pe seeing people's work, but I do have to prioritize. Sure, of course. So are you guys looking forward to um, 3.0? It should be coming out soon, right? Yeah, Chris, when's it coming out? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, probably uh, very, very likely sometime in 2019. So maybe December 31st. <laughs> well, very likely. I'm not promising 2019, but basically, there there are a lot of factors, uh, and I'm not going to go into the whole thing. But you know, just like anyone, you only want to release something when it's ready and when it's going to be really good, and people are going to have a really good experience with it. And people, you know, would be mad at us if we, you know, introduced it before that. And people would also be mad at us if we introduced it after that. <laughs> Sure. So that's we're, we're working on releasing it at the optimal time. And there are a lot of factors to consider in terms of like how the ecosystem is also evolving uh, that we have to consider. So yeah, it'll, it'll be released eventually. But as of recording, um, it'll have well been released by the time this is released. But Vue 2.6 was just released, which is a, a pretty exciting release. It has some, some, some new features and interfaces, some changes. One of my favorites is the hyphen scope. Which maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll have a show on that sometime, you know, just like on the two point six release. That that could be cool. Yeah, but you guys should absolutely do that. Yeah, I'd I'd love to hear about more of your experience with with Nux, though. Like we, we've talked about a lot of the things that it saves you in development, and we've touched on a little bit some of the things that you normally have to do just to start a project. You know, just like the the boilerplate that Nux can save you from. So, like what? What does a new Nux project look like? What is already done for you? That is a really good question, Chris. Just give me one moment. Let me just bit, uh, let me just load up the file structure. Yeah, no problem. The, the one I'm working on at the moment. I'm actually using it to redesign um, my own uh, like personal website as well, and it's a lot of fun to use. Sorry, it's just loading. I, I've got I've, it's loading PHP Storm at the moment, and it takes forever because the Mac I'm using is just running out of memory. <laughs> it's it's on its last legs. It's like from well, it's only from like 2015, but it's one of the super like the basic level spec, and it's totally understand. I I, I have a hard time getting rid of computers too. <laughs> <laughs> um, here we go. I think sometimes it's like, uh, have you ever heard the expression, never buy a car from a mechanic? <laughs> <laughs> because th they know exactly like what they need to do to barely keep it like limping along. <laughs> and so as soon as you get it, it's just going to die. <laughs> oh, and I think, I think the same is often true with, uh, with programmers, you know, with, with people who, you know, are invested in their technology and, and know a lot about it. You know, sometimes we, we really push push the limits and uh, push the lifetime of a computer beyond, beyond the point that it really should have gotten to. 
Oh, absolutely. I, I'm I'm going to be using this computer in 2020, let alone the rest of this year. So <laughs> <laughs> stubborn, huh? <laughs> Even if it stopped working, I would just I would just pretend it's working. Uh, right, so it's loaded now. Um, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. So I suppose the nice thing with with Nux is it gives you all of these kind of sensible defaults. So, for example, the layouts folder and there's a, a middleware folder as well. And you can put your bits of code into those folders um, rather than, I suppose, you know, kind of, again, just making those folders from scratch. So it's a really nice way for, I suppose, for newer developers as well to have kind of a sensible project structure. Mm -hmm. um, because I, I don't know about about you guys, Chris or Divya, but especially when when I was beginning with things like front-end frameworks, not always having those sensible defaults that's at to begin with ends up just biting you in the long run, whether it's, you know, going back to a project six months later and you're like, okay, where's the components folder? Oh, right. Okay. I didn't call it a components folder back then. I called it an assets folder or, or whatever it may be. So it's mm. just nice that it gives you all of those sensible defaults to begin with. Mm, so you have to make fewer decisions to start with and you can feel more confident that the decisions that have already been made are probably good choices rather exactly. than you just like making something up before you have the experience to know like what would be a good choice, like what would be a good name for this folder? What folder should I even have? Exactly, exactly. I mean, like, you know, I would I would always advocate to people to use Vue first before going into something like Nuxt, but I don't mm -hmm. think you would necessarily need to wait very long before you start using Nuxt. I, I think you could easily use it after maybe one project or two projects in Vue. Because obviously, ultimately, you're still using all of the same concepts from, from Vue. But after a while, though, having those sensible defaults just reduces that kind of cognitive workload, I suppose. It's kind of like how, you know, kind of like how people who are particularly successful or let's just use someone like Steve Jobs, for example. There's always that idea that he wore the same thing every day because it's fewer decisions that need to be made and fewer, less cognitive what effort spent on things that yeah. don't need to be spent on. And, you know, that's where these kind of higher level frameworks fall in. And I suppose any framework, really. I mean, ultimately, Vue's doing the same thing for you. It's abstracting away a lot of stuff that you would otherwise have to write in vanilla JS. So, mm -hmm. cool. So, it sounds like it, it makes a lot of decisions for you. So, you can really just like focus on the problem specific to your application right from the start rather than having to like worry about having to set up the things that you'll have to set up for pretty much any project that you start. Exactly. You know, so when you when you start a new app, you have an app to begin with, like with routing and with state management and, you know, with plugins registered to do things like the the meta info that we talked about and you get all of that right from the beginning because that's what pretty much every project needs, right? Exactly. And, um, you know, e even with the other, the other directories that are there, of course, the things that you put in there are, it's necessary to put them in certain folders, say, for example, like the static folder that's in there where you would put your assets. Because then when you ultimately, you know, run like NPM, run build or, or whatever it may be called, the configuration intelligently knows where to find everything and can do it accordingly. So, Again, that's another thing as well with something like Nux, the fact that you don't have to spend any time doing any of the 
the webpack configuration, which can, you know, understandably be quite scary for people who are, who are newer to the concept of kind of, you know, compilation tools in general. So, you know, of course you can use something like uh, Vue CLI, which is amazing as well. But uh, yeah, you know, in the case of Nuxt, you get all of those additional bits already bolted on to begin with. So it's kind of like, if you think you're going to build something and, you know, potentially you're, you're considering something like server-side rendering or you're considering using a router, potentially you might need some sort of store because it's going to be quite a kind of data-intense application. You might need middleware because you're doing some sort of authentication. You know, all of those things are just baked into it to begin with. So it's kind of like a no-brainer to 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 give it a go, really, and see if it's if it's uh, if it helps your project. And you mentioned earlier that while you're enjoying Nux very much, you recommend that people start with you know maybe just like raw view, like building like a view CLI project, for example, before they start a Nux project. Absolutely. Was that was that more because uh, you know so that people can tell the difference between like you know what is view and and what is Nux so that they they know like what documentation to look at you know when they have certain questions about things that they see. Or uh, is was there more to it? What's behind uh, that recommendation? No, I, I think you're definitely right with with that, Chris. Um, that's definitely one of the the factors. But I, I guess it's also the case of like the the setup cost, for example. I think people have to, you have to experience that first, and then be able to move on to something that kind of takes away those difficulties. Mm. It's kind of like if if a new developer just straight away went to using Nuxt. And you know they skipped using Vue, they skipped using vanilla JavaScript, they skipped all of the other bits as well that kind of sits in between, or, or the things that you might may typically learn whilst using uh, Vue. It's not necessarily a sensible approach, I, I think, to just development in general. You, you effectively kind of have to get a few cuts and bruises first. Mm, so you have to like know know what it's actually doing you to really appreciate what it's doing for you. Exactly. Yeah, and I've I've also seen some people who are like really new to front end development, um, or even just new to Vue, who start with Nux from the very beginning, and can sometimes feel a little bit overwhelmed, because they have a project with you know like a dozen different folders that all have like implicit behavior in each of them, and it's just like it's so much to wrap their mind around from the very beginning, like before they've even gotten the concepts down of like, oh yeah, like an application will have like views and they know what views are and they know what like, you know, the, their components will be uh, and they know what like a, a layout might be. And before they have all these concepts down, it can be a lot to take in. And it can be sometimes surprising the sort of, you know, magic behavior <laughs> that happens from just creating a, a file. Absolutely. It's like giving a baby war and peace. And uh, like, <laughs> give, give, let them learn the alphabet first. I've also seen the benefit of going backwards, though, to to um, because someone would learn Nux and then they kind of take take for granted a lot of the features that it offers, and then going backwards to learn Vue and then realizing what they had and what they don't have now. Because in a sense, Nux allows you to be productive quickly because you you're essentially everything is made. For you, your routing is done, your, you have state management and so on. And so you can build a fully functional like single page application really quickly. Um, not to say you can't do that in Vue, but in Vue, there's 
or in vanilla view or if you just create a view CLI project. But it requires a bit of understanding and you have to build up to that point. And so I've seen the reverse where someone works in Nuxt, worked in Nuxt, understood, like kind of got the way things worked and the layout of the structure of the project. And then went back to like view CLI project, struggled a lot because they didn't know how exactly things worked. But that struggle ended up working out because they learned, similar to what you're saying, Sunil, with, which is like the cuts and bruises. Hmm. Um, I think ultimately uh, what we're all trying to say is that there's a there's value in just understanding, build, like building something out from your, your own because then you have to learn the pieces that go into building it. And then like, if you want to build something fully functional, fully featured, Nux is a great way to go. But there's so much value in understanding the underlying structures of how things work. Because let's say you want to customize your Nux configuration or project. You're going to have to understand how routers work, how state management works. Because if you look at Nux projects, not no two Nux projects are the same. They all have different flavors. Because essentially, you start out with a vanilla Nux project and then you add specific things and then that becomes your boilerplate and then like for someone because it fixes the problems that you see are important and that might not be the case for someone else so in general i think there's so much value in understanding the underlying structures of everything absolutely that's a really good point that you've you've mentioned divya as well yeah i'm actually curious because you've been working with nux for a while um do you have specific added like customizations that you do to nux that you find follows you through projects? If I'm perfectly honest, I don't think I've been using it for long enough to be at that point because the the projects that I've worked on so far have not required me to make any kind of changes really. I, I suppose that's possibly kind of counterintuitive to what you've just said. But I think in the cases of, say, my own websites or even this web application that I've been building at, at uh, the company I work at, I've not really had to make any changes that go beyond kind of like page tra- transitions. So uh, I think for, for me as well, that's the thing that I've really liked about it. The fact that I've not had to really do anything apart from kind of just focus on building against whatever the problem was rather than getting lost with all of the, the the kind of administrative tasks, I would call them. Yeah, that's fair. What about you, Divya? I'm curious. Um, I, I haven't. I mean, I think I've done some, I can't remember. It's been a while since I've worked on a Nux project. I tend to actually reach for like Vue CLI and I use Vue CLI plugins. Not to say that Nux is not a good tool, but I think I've talked about this before in, in various episodes that Nuxt is not the tool that I use personally. In, in terms to answer your question, uh, in terms of configurations, I've done some added stuff to the way routing works, to the way state management works. I can't tell you off the top of my head what those are because it's been, it's been like a couple months, maybe longer. Yeah, because I'm, I'm a huge fan of using like just vanilla view with plugins and that's been my setup. And yeah. for me, I'm incredibly productive doing it that way. And I find that with Nux, I'm not as productive. And that is possibly because of just my fluency with, with like vanilla view over Nux. Because I find that Nux offers me a lot that I don't use. So I don't, in a lot of the apps that I build, I don't actually use server-side rendering. I pre-render a lot of things because um, I don't need server-side rendering for many of the applications I work on. 
And so, yeah, <laughs> it's not really answering your question. <laughs> but, <laughs> and no, not that- to say... Nux is a not to say don't use Nux. It's just Nux is not useful for my use my the stuff I work on. Yeah. Yeah, and I I'd love to talk about that uh, a little bit more in a in a bit. You know the the sort of like when to not use Nux. Like when when yeah. might Nux not be a good fit for what you're working on? But first, like you, you mentioned something that we haven't talked about yet that I think is like one of the main things that we we really should talk about with Nux, which is the, the server side rendering. rendering. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So... If you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Yes, I was actually actually going to talk about that because I think it's valid to talk a, a little bit about what server-side rendering is. Um, and it's similar to pre-rendering, right? Because people just assume they know what pre-rendering is. Sometimes they don't. Well, um, what if you don't know what pre-rendering is or server-side rendering is? Yes, then we can talk about that now. <laughs> Quick, Chris, define it. Oh, oh, so I ask you the question, <laughs> you're just going to turn it around? <laughs> I, I can yes. if you like. Okay, so so server-side rendering is is basically... You are serving like from the the server side the full HTML that Vue would eventually render on the client side to start with, and so that that first render is done for you and served to HTML so that you're not served like a blank page and then that blank page is built, which can be really useful in some cases for SEO like uh, let's say you have a marketing page like an about page about pages are often like a, a kind of marketing page. If you have your content on a server somewhere and you need to make some kind of like Ajax request to fetch that content in order to actually render that about page, then what's happening is you're you're serving that initial HTML and JavaScript and CSS. And what it is is a blank page initially. And then maybe you have like a little loading indicator. And then eventually the content shows up and then you can see it, you know, once that additional API call is made. And so that, that first time to interactive, in some cases, can be kind of slow. And for a typical user, you know, as long as you have, like, good response times on the server, that response time uh, will be pretty acceptable. But if they're on a really slow connection, like on their phone, or if they're in a country where, like, really fast internet just isn't available, which is a lot of people, then server-side rendering can help you get much better performance. Uh, for those users where that performance in terms of how many requests you're making and the the size of the requests you're making is, is really critical. And it can also be helpful for SEO in the sense that uh, search index crawlers don't necessarily know how long they should wait until you know they can consider this page fully rendered. And so you might have some kind of AJAX request going which is asynchronous, like these, these crawlers 
from my understanding, always wait for synchronous JavaScript to finish. But since these API calls are asynchronous and you know, you, the response could come back at any time, it's not always going to wait for that. And so some search engines might see a version of your site that is just a blank page you know, if you're fetching the content later, which isn't a great solution. And to solve that SEO problem, you can do things like pre-rendering. And to you know, solve some of that, you know, some of that time to, to first content, not necessarily time to interactive, uh, you can also do pre-rendering. And Divya, would you like to explain a little bit about like, how pre-rendering is different from server-side rendering? Yeah, so pre-rendering is essentially when, let's say you have a build script. So when you deploy your app, it runs a build script. It essentially builds out all of those folders for you. So what's, the ser- what's on the server is static HTML. And so it's pre-rendered. And so versus like server-side rendering, which is like, hey, server, give me stuff. And then it's like, okay. And then it runs some stuff and gives you HTML. In the context of pre-rendering, the HTML already exists on the server. And so it just sends it to you. And so assumedly, it's way faster than server-side rendering because um, with, I'm going to say SSR because server-side rendering is very long. Um, (laughs) And with SSR, it takes a bit, like as Chris was saying, the first initial... um, load takes a long time because it's essentially serving all of those like pages that, that your website needs or your app needs. Um, but with pre-rendering, it's super fast because it's like, hey, you want this HTML? Here you go. And it sends you some HTML and it's super fast and awesome. And for SEO purposes, really great because the SEO crawlers can just crawl your site and it sees all the pages that you your app has and it automatically works. And it's great. Um, and so that's essentially in a nutshell what Um, pre-rendering is and super useful and there's lots of tools for you to do this you can actually do pre-rendering with nuxt i believe yeah with nuxt generate Uh, with nuxt generate so nuxt generate does pre-rendering for you so if you wanted to use nuxt but you were like let's say serving your site through netlify which (laughs) like requires you to pre-render then you would use the nuxt generate command so you pre-render your site so that you can serve up html files and there's, of course, other stuff, other tools like prerender.io is another one, which allows you to pre-render. There's one that Chris created, which is like his tool for pre-rendering. It's like spa, yeah, single pre-render spa app. plugin. Pre-render yeah, spa plugin. I use yeah. it a lot. I think it's a great tool um, yeah, because it allows you to pre-render. And all you have to do is add it to your view.config file and it automatically works. And Divya, Divya works for Netlify, so she probably doesn't want to like sound like a shill. But like Netlify <laughs> actually has like a really, really good pre-rendering solution. So yes. that if you're hosting your site on Netlify, like you that, can basically just like check a box, and then you never have to worry about pre-rendering. So that that's actually a really good point, and I'm totally just going to talk about Netlify for a bit. <laughs> but since you brought you brought it up. I didn't bring it up. Yeah, I brought it up because it's, it's actually really good and I don't it work is. for Netlify. And, and yeah. so this is the thing. I, I get this question a lot because people assume that that checkbox pre-renders your site for you, but it pre-renders it for the crawlers. So like yes. that's a very in, important distinction to make. So it's not pre-rendered for the user. It's pre-rendered so for SEO purposes. So the crawlers see all of the pages within your app, but you as a user don't because that's not for you. <laughs> it's specifically geared towards SEO. And that's like the main use case of it. It's incredibly powerful and very useful. 
and I use it all the time in my apps just because it's it's really handy for like as I said SEO purposes. Yeah. So when would you use pre-rendering versus SSR server-side rendering? Oof. Uh, I usually reach for pre-rendering <laughs> all the time uh, because my apps are really lightweight and creating those HTML pages like actually isn't heavy. You know, like there's not a lot of media, there's not a lot of images, there's not a lot of like fonts and so on, even though Gzip takes care of a lot of that. Yeah, so I, I pre-render in general just because my apps are super lightweight and I use microservices through like serverless Lambda functions and so on. And so my apps don't require any like server logic. Uh, and so it just works as an HTML page that does like requests to other services to like load up data or ping like various other functions and so on. So yeah, that, that's like my use case. I reach for pre-rendering all the time. Server-side rendering is something that I feel never hits, like I don't ever have a use case for it personally. And that's potentially because a lot of the projects I work on are like not, I don't know how to describe them. It's just like for me, server-side rendering is a solution that is not something I reach for. It's not a very scientific answer, but. (laughs) Yeah, and and I would say I I find myself reaching for pre-rendering much, much, much more of the time because like it's way simpler and easier to set up. And there are much fewer things that you have to think about. Like with, with um, server-side rendering, something that you always have to keep in mind is that when you are, are, are doing something like, uh, you know, in a created hook or something like that, then you can't rely on the environment being a browser. So if you try to access, access something on the window, like local storage, it's just not going to work. And if you try to like, you know, you know, do something like get a cookie, like when your app starts up to see if the user is logged in or to, you know, uh, not, not a cookie from local storage, that doesn't make any sense. Get a cookie or something or data from local storage to see if a user is logged in, like you won't be like able to do data. that on the server because you're not in the browser. And so you have to have more like if statements to say like, oh, okay, if type of window is not undefined, then we can do this browser stuff. Otherwise, we skip it or we do something slightly different for the server. Also, in general, to talk a little bit about like the time to first byte thing where you're essentially loading everything, you can. I've done like pre rendering because there is some like progressive enhancement advantages to server side rendering, right? Because you can mm-hmm. like send your user all of the assets. Um, so if they are on low bandwidths and so on, like it's already loaded and they have everything. I guess I'm conflating progressive web app with server-side rendering because they're like, like they have this gray area. Yeah. yeah, there's this gray area where there's an overlap between the two. I find like service work, you can use service workers with something like like a pre-rendered app, for example. Uh, yeah. Outside of Nuxt, I'll say that the only time that I actually reach for server-side rendering is when I really need that like great like time to like time to first paint uh and time to interactive when i need to and that as much as possible yeah oh source side rendering is handy for those those use cases i find like if you build a site progressive web app like ish you don't have to do service side rendering if you want to build a pwa like for example there are ways to optimize for that to ensure the benefits of time to first byte without having to server-side render. 
Yeah. And I'd also say when the content has to be like completely dynamic and up to date, like there's data that's changing all the time, because if you have like a, a, a leaderboard or something, and maybe these leaderboards are like updating every minute, you know, cause it's, it's for this a website for some game where, you know, like people are getting new high scores or whatever. Like if you pre-render that, then it'll only be updated up to the last time that you pre-rendered, which may not be um, good enough, you know, unless you actually want to pre-render like every single minute or every single second, because some people might get a high score, get really excited, go into the leaderboard and be confused. Like, but I just got a new high score. Why isn't it up there yet? And they'll get and they'll get mad. So server-side rendering gives you that like that experience with the very latest data. You know, whereas pre-rendering, it's always going to be a little bit stale because you're only going to have information based on whenever the last time you pre-rendered was. That is true. I'm gonna like pull up an example really quickly. Okay, yeah. So one of my coworkers created uh, this thing called setyourwatchby.netlify.com, which is pre-rendered and it updates every minute. And so, yeah, there you, you can, can talk less about less than like, a minute. Uh, I think you could. You you could. Let's see. Okay, well, I'm gonna play devil's advocate again then. <laughs> so if it's updating like every minute, does that mean that like? sometimes that there'll be like a little bit of a, a wait to serve the page. Yes, usually, yeah. Because you're essentially redeploying each time, right? Uh, and so, the, it, wait, are you redeploying each time? One second. I think the way it works is they just like replace the, the, pre, the, like the new pre-rendered one well, you're using, with the old one. You're, you're using, essentially, you're using the meta refresh tag, right? So yeah. that's like purely an HTML thing. That's not even like, that's just like, Essentially, you create a meta refresh tag, so meta refresh, and then you give it like the time frame that you want your content to refresh. So you're telling the browser that, hey, like this piece of content will update in this amount of time. Go request the new update or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it does that. So that's purely like a HTML client side thing. Yeah, um, but, but since, it's, it's, since it's doing it at the time, I think that means like with a a really frequently updating pre-rendered solution. I think what would happen is the performance would be slightly worse because the pre-rendering step is going to be more expensive. I think, yes. And so since like the performance of the site and like how quickly it loads is part of SEO, I think it could also be argued that with like pre-rendering strategies that require very frequent updates, that you're not going to get the same kind of like SEO yeah. from rendering that you get with SSR. That's fair. That's a, that's a fair point. I think there's also the, the general question of like caching issues. So like every time your page, if your page is updating a lot, generally pages get cached and you're like, you're going to, that, that tends to have issues if you're like serving the same index.html page over and over because your browser is like nothing's changed and it doesn't serve you the updated index.html page unless there's of course ways around it but you're gonna have that that trips people up a lot yeah but you could also get better performance with pre-rendering because you're just serving a static site yeah if you are if you are like pre-rendering it rather than pre-rendering it like you know at the exact time that it's requested so (laughs) (laughs) pre-pre-render 
pre pre render. Why can't you just like assume your browser or or I don't know machine learning your browser into knowing what to render? You're like, hey, guess what I need. Well, I think the reason that Netlify, I would guess, doesn't do it. I, I'm not sure this is exactly how Netlify works, and this isn't the part of Netlify that you work on, so no. like you probably wouldn't know either. I might know uh, off the top of your head. You might, but I don't know. Um, I would guess that they they probably like if you set it to update every minute. I'm guessing they don't actually have a job that runs on yes, a server every single right. minute. That's actually accurate. So we don't okay. have, you cannot run a cron job on Netlify. Yeah, <laughs> otherwise, not. like, Netlify would be a lot more expensive than it is. Yeah, <laughs> it, it will not work. Uh, we, don't, don't, we don't support that. You could potentially put it on Heroku, but then you're not pre-rendering anymore. So Netlify will only, like, you know, give you that, like, new, up-to-date, pre-rendered site or pre-rendered page when it's actually requested by the by some kind of like search engine. Yeah, yep, that's correct. Okay. From my knowledge, yes, that's how it works. Yeah, so I hope that was intelligible to people. It's <laughs> like a roundabout <laughs> explanation of the basics of SSR and... Yeah, it's, it's a big topic. Pre-rendering. It's a common cause of confusion. You'd be surprised by the number of times I have to explain the difference. Uh, and I, I would recommend um, if you go to, I think it's ssr.vuejs.org. Yes, it's great. There's currently two docs, providers. Yeah, and we do explain like when you need SSR versus pre-rendering so that you don't do a bunch of work for yourself unnecessarily. But if you need SSR, Nux does most of the work for you. Yeah, I think it's um it's Nux and Quas Quasar? Quasar? Qu- Qu- Quasar. <laughs> yes, that. I've never actually said it out loud. I'm just going to keep saying <laughs> Yeah, there Quasar. are a lot of things like that in development. <laughs> Yes, I was uh, I, I was uh, reading something to uh, to Katie, my my wife, the other day, and uh, I, I read W E A R Y as weary. Yeah, she <laughs> says, "Do you mean weary?" <laughs> because weary, like W A R Y, made no sense in that context. And I just realized, like, yeah, that's one of those things that I've never, I've never really said out loud. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm not telling people. It's like, oh, I'm feeling so weary. <laughs> I just I just see that in books, <laughs> and I read it to myself in my head. You There's need to a... spend more time in England, Chris. <laughs> you <laughs> would hear it. Gosh. I am so weary right now. <laughs> oh, that's, that's sad. <laughs> um, okay, so maybe I've heard other people say it, but I'm not. I'm not saying it myself. <laughs> that actually reminds me. There's a there's a comedian who goes by Ismo. I think he does like different promotional things for Merriam Webster, whatever. It's not really promotional. It's just like little marketing videos. His whole shtick is he's a non-native English speaker and he talks about how weird English is <laughs> and how strange words are. Like one of the ones I really like, okay, I don't know how much I can, what kind of language I can use on this podcast, but uh, there is a word. Keep it family friendly. Okay, well, there's a word, an alternative to, yes, I'll, I'll, I won't say it because I just, okay, yeah. So he talks about trunk, for example, and how tr- like trunk is a weird word. And then he talks about just like the usage of the word in different contexts and what people mean, because ultimately with language, context matters. And if you say something like in English, in American English, trunk is the back of your car. And in England, that is not the word that you use for the back of your car. You say boot, 
but in America we don't say boot. Anyway, I'm going into a lot of the, but it's funny because it's related to what you said, Chris, which is that <laughs> words have different meaning based on the way you say it and the context. And English is hard. It probably would have been a better story if I hadn't like stopped you in the middle and said like, "Don't no, don't tell that story." <laughs> so I I, I, I take is, full blame for that. It's fine. It, it's it's quite funny for native speakers and non-native speakers alike. <laughs> yeah, um, there's a French comedian called Gad something. Yes, I think I know also, him. There's a lot of jokes like that, which is something that I learned when I came to the States. Like when you go into stores, unlike in Europe where people just like leave you alone and sometimes will actively ignore you. Like in, in the States, when you go into a store, people will be like, oh, hey, can, is there anything I can do for you? Um, you know, and they'll, they'll, they'll pretend it's almost like they know you. It's like, hey, what are you looking for today? Oh, yeah. Oh, nice shirt. Hey. Oh, oh. And, and they're just like extremely friendly and like really want to do something for you. And if you ask them to do something, it's like, hey, I'm I, not sure if you have this. Uh, do you have it? And they'll just like run to the back to go check. Which stores do you go to? This is not my experience. <laughs> no, you go to like Best Buy or something like that. Like people are... Uh, maybe people it's like a big city thing. Because like here, sometimes I go to a store and if I ask for help, it's almost like I ask them to move the world. <laughs> I don't know. I, I have this experience it, it in big might... cities in the United States too. Well, maybe because you're just nicer. But maybe, whatever. maybe Singapore know. is even more like, I don't know. I've never been to Singapore, so maybe they're even nicer in shops there. No but way. Absolutely not. Dad learned that in, in American shops, you need to learn to just say like, I'm just browsing. <laughs> and oh, those yeah. are the magic words to have someone just leave you alone. <laughs> but it took him a while to learn that. And it took me a while to learn that too. <laughs> That's the first thing I say when I go into a shop now, <laughs> before people even approach. Just <laughs> before you, I just want everyone to know I'm just browsing, okay? <laughs> yes. It doesn't work. It depends on the kind of store you go to. Because I feel like if I go to like a shop that sells saris, for example, like an Indian store, that, that word doesn't that doesn't make mean anything. <laughs> like if I said, oh, I'm just browsing that, like, oh, like well, what are you is, <laughs> they'll be like, tell me what kind of material. And then like the bolts will come out, just like throwing it. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. So the one thing that I wanted to talk about, uh, if we have a little bit of time, and I think, I think we do. We have time. Is when someone would not want to use Nuxt. So I would say that if you don't need any of the additional features that come with Nux, then I would stick to just using something like, you know, using Vue as is. So if you don't, if you're building a simple site that doesn't require any sort of um, kind of complex state management, let's call it, then you don't necessarily need it. If, uh, if you don't need anything that requires, or if you're building something that doesn't require server-side rendering, then again, no need putting it in there. So of, of course, ultimately, I suppose it, you know, it, it boils down to taking a step back rather than just going and picking up Nooks for every project and, and spending the time to actually think about what your project is and what, what are the needs of the project and you you know reaching for Nuxt if you need it rather than using it as the default. Really, the default if you're building something with Vue should just be Vue. <laughs> At least that's the way I see it anyway. Definitely, I feel the exact same way. And 
which is why I reiterate my sentiments, which is <laughs> I never use Renox. I know like the Chopin brothers have given me a lot of a lot of pain just because I haven't used Nux extensively. And for a lot of my examples, I'm like, ah, you can use Nux if you want to, but you don't really need to. And they're like, no, they're doing good work. I, I don't want to disregard that. But for, again, like what you're saying, Sunil, it's just a matter of if you find yourself not needing a lot of it. It's essentially like buying a giant car, like an SUV. I don't know car brands when you need like a tiny smart car. Exactly. Um, yeah. When people want like the maximum control over their project, I would also say, you know, building on top of UCLI is possibly a better option too. And a, a lot of times, like as people get more advanced and get like really opinionated, you know, there will be cases where they know they want to do things differently than Nuxt. And so, you know, that point will come naturally when you start feeling like, you know what, I think I, I think I actually, you know, want to do things differently than us. And I know why. And, you know, I've, I've developed like opinions and I, I think I have like another idea of like how I want to set things up. And I think I know how to do the things that I still want from Nuxt in my own project, you know, setting it up independently. Yeah. Definitely. And I'm willing to do those things. It's worth it to me to have that maximum configurability. I find that that is also similar in my experiences because there's there's a lot of times where so Nuxt gives you a lot and it's super handy because you can be productive, you can get working really fast without having to build all of those like piping and workflows. But if you want it to do if you want Nuxt to work in a way that's not the way Nuxt works, like fighting and trying to overwrite the configuration will give you a lot of pain. It's built specifically for the, like it has a, spe- uh, a configuration, it's opinionated. And the reasons for that is just so that you don't get tripped up in your projects, right? And w- when I work with stuff, I'm like, I have specific ways that I want my project to be configured and I have specific folder structures and so on. And so for me, using like a Vue CLI project with plugins, and at this point, I already have a boilerplate that I have created at this point that I just end up using over and over again works for me and again like ultimately it boils down to what makes you and what allows you to be productive and so if Nuxt allows you to be productive like use Nuxt because it's a great tool it is it has a lot of fantastic contributors it's you know it has a great community and ecosystem plugins all of that their yeah. middleware, I haven't talked a lot about. Yeah, middleware is you know, great. Yes. We great. haven't like talked about have, that at all. The, the, their middlewares for like, uh, you know, setting up Google Analytics and stuff like that. Yeah. Allows you to do things like that. Like really common things. Like really, really easily and simply. Puya Parsa from the 